0: things. Let's pray uh, together. So, Lord, our prayer this day is that uh, you would make something beautiful out of our next chunk of time together around your word, and may those of us who are carrying dust or difficulty and setbacks, Lord, may you make something beautiful this day, and may you open up our hearts to receive that gift, those gifts from you, in Jesus' name, and everybody said Amen. amen. Please be seated, everyone. Thank you. If you, a, if you have a Bible, go with me to Psalm 23. And uh, Michael, if you put the overhead up, that'd be great. Uh, we're in a series on Lent, a journey through the Psalms about drawing close to God. And we're in Psalm 23 today. And if you, ha- if you don't have a bulletin with one of these blue sheets, I need you to pull out this blue uh, half page that's in your bulletin. It says Psalm 23, the attentive life. And it, so pull that out. And if you, don't, if you don't have a pencil or a pen, raise your hand. You need a pencil you're going to use that. Uh, through this sermon. So if you can borrow a pencil or pen, that'd be fantastic. But if you don't have this blue sheet, please raise your hands uh, because we want to get one to you. So we're up here. Keep your hands up, okay, up here in the front. All right. Our title is called Learning to Pay Attention to God. The problem with paying attention to God is we are very distracted. Distractions are everywhere. The average worker, they say, in the United States, wastes an average of 2.1 hours a day in distractions. There are 1.3 million car crashes a year. One-fourth of those car crashes, the person driving is being distracted by his or her cell phone. Now this may not apply to you, but probably for the rest of America it does. The average person checks their cell phone 150 times every day. That's once every six seconds. So distractions are everywhere, I mean they're deadly. And they're deadly in our workplace, they're deadly in our relationships, and they're really deadly in our relationship with God. And so in Spain, in 2013, there was a high speed wreck, train wreck, in which 79 people died. And the driver, the conductor admitted in the investigation on the trial that he had been using his cell phone while he was driving. And so he didn't see or hear all the train's warnings and he alerts. It turns out it was an 80 kilometers per hour zone. He was going 190. And so while they were trying to contact him, he was on his cell, he heard nothing and he is now in jail. So, we do have an enormous problem. Uh, It's a deadly problem of distractions in our culture, perhaps more than ever. And so the problem is, the biggest problem is we don't see what's right in front of us, Uh, in terms of God, in terms of life, in terms of people, in terms of ourselves. But this issue of paying attention is the core of the Christian life. That's why we're gonna look at Psalm 23 today. Uh, Simone Weil was a a philosopher, writer, uh, Christian, 1930s and 40s. And she wrote about how the discipline of attention is necessary if we're gonna even know God. In fact, this is my summary of her writing, some of her writings. She goes, learning the discipline to pay attention is the necessary, she called it a muscle, of prayer and the whole Christian life. And, and, And she writes about how Without the discipline of paying attention, you can't even love people. I think of our community development corporation. I think of our calling to love others. That, in other words, to give your attention to someone who's suffering is a rare and difficult thing to do. It's almost, she calls it, says it's almost a miracle to be really paying attention to a person suffering. Uh, and she calls it the rarest and purest form of generosity that you can give people. is not money. It's paying attention to them. And so actually, she has this great article, a great essay about why academics is so important. Some of you are in college or grad school or high school. This is why school is so important. Because in school, you are trained to actually pay attention to problems like in mathematics or poetry. You're, you're trained to hopefully think, not study for a test, think. And she goes, as you're learning and, and to think in school, you're actually learning how to pray. Even though it's an unrelated topic, you're actually learning how to follow God. And so that's why if you had teachers in school, grammar school or high school, that taught you, for example, how to read a poem, like how to read a poem and like savor a phrase or a word or or pull apart a verse. or If you had a teacher who could teach you how to look at a painting of art, and how colors and contrast and textures, that's a great gift. Or if you had a teacher that taught you how to pay attention to music, and so you can listen to an orchestra or a band, and you can hear the bass, you can hear the drums, you can hear the different voices in the choir, You're actually trained to pay attention to things. That's a great teacher. It's a great gift to have. And has great implications for the Christian life. So the center of the Christian life is we need this muscle to pay attention. Now think of muscles. You don't have muscles, you can't walk. You can't even blink. You can't move your arms. I mean, muscles are indispensable for life. Well, in the same way, in the spiritual life, the muscle of attentiveness, the muscle of paying attention, is critical that it gets developed. It's actually the center of the Christian life. And so the question you wanna ask is, is am I paying attention to God? In other words, am I, growing in that, am I growing that muscle? Or am I just distracted? And so that muscle that God intends to be developed is actually diminishing, it's atrophying, it's, it's, it's growing weaker. We're, we're, which, which direction are you going in? And uh, we're gonna look at David, who was tremendous at paying attention. Now, so we're, we're gonna read this text here from Psalm 23 and uh, I I know it's a super familiar passage and you'll notice I have phrased some things differently because as there are many translations of the Bible which is a very good thing actually, uh, I've kind of taken some of the original Hebrew meanings and tried to make it a little bit clearer for us for the sake of the sermon here in English. So thus says the lord psalm 23 and now as i as i'm speaking and, and reading it i want to invite you you have a pencil or pen and i want you to note like maybe circle or underline words or phrases that stand out to you that like where god comes to you like maybe something as you know uh, you know i lack nothing you're like wow you know and so just underline that okay as we as i read this through And uh, as you note how God comes to you. Okay, thus says the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He settles me down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He brings me back. overflows. Surely goodness, beauty, and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever." And I read that, I say we can all go home right now. Such a rich passage. So I'm going to give you an assignment here. I'm going to tell you in advance the ending of the sermon. So I'm going to ask you to leave here today, and I'm going to ask you to spend five minutes every day for the next seven days, hopefully in the morning, but if you can't, later. But for five minutes a day, you're going to pull out your cell phone, and I'm going to ask you to to put it up to five minutes, and I'm going to ask you to pay attention to God. We call it centering prayer here. And either before you start that centering prayer or after, I'm going to invite you to take this paper out and just ponder it. Read it slowly. Let God speak to you. That's it. I'm going to ask you to do it every day for the next five days, the next uh, seven days, and we'll come back next week. And the reason is because, as all of you know, we have been at New Life Fellowship for since 2003 on a whole journey of Slowing down to pay attention, silence, and centering prayer, etc. And in preparation for this message, probably about a month ago, I just started read. I actually picked up three books in particular, and I just read them. Uh, I didn't finish a couple of them, but I-, I read most of them on how God rewires our brain. Because I- I'm interested in the theme of transformation. Obviously, we all are. We're here to be changed by Jesus. And I was so affected by reading these books again. Because over the last 20 to 30 years, there has been so much research done by neuroscientists about how silent meditation changes our brain. And that it not only gets easier to do as you do it because your brain gets rewired, you end up during the day experiencing changes like more self-control, greater self-awareness, less stress, less triggered by things, better impulse control, greater ability to focus. And actually, they've got so much data here that even they say the gray matter in your brain in the prefrontal cortex actually gets bigger. And they've got these scans that you can look at. It's, it's fantastic. And, and how these neurological circuits are made in our brains that, that there's a peacefulness, and actually it results in compassion. And I read it, and, and, and you, if you read secular business books, and they talk, they're, they're encouraging people. In the MBA program at Stanford, they're encouraging students for 15 minutes a day to do meditation to their breath. And, and I just, I, 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 went, I picked up my pencil and, ah, and I threw it down on the floor. Because I said, what? I said, I'm just trying to get people to do, Christians to do two minutes. And if you're in the EHS course, which we offer at New Life, you know, every year a couple times a year, you know, we do the daily office, and we try, two minutes a day, two minutes a day, you know, two minutes a day, just two minutes. And people are like, oh, I can't do it. Pastor Pete, in my mind, I'm so degraded. Oh, man." And I just was like, i was just disgusted. I said, that's it, that's it, that's it. I said, so I'm gonna ask you to start with five. Five minutes. And just the fact that you show up is gonna change you. And what they, what they found, I'm not gonna be apologetic anymore, I think, that's the biggest thing that came to me. I'm not gonna be fearful of overwhelming you. I'm going to ask you to, for five minutes to start, uh, and what they have found, they'll promise you, these neuroscientists, if you do this for eight weeks, they said, even just, I I forget if they asked for five, they want you to build up to 15, but they said, if you do it, they said, you will experience a significant change in your body, in the neurochemistry of your brain, and in your person. They promise it. Well, all I know is I've been doing it since 2003 uh, pretty consistently, you know, 20 minutes a day, and I know it's changed my life, and I'll talk about that later. So, that's it. That's your assignment as we'll close. But for now, I, I want to look at how David, he writes a, a this is a, Psalm 23 is a song. It's a poem. And so it's meant to be, it's meant to be felt. You know, it's meant to be like, you know, you, it's meant to go through your body in a sense, through your person, like the is meant to enter into you. And so, there's four movements in this psalm. And I'm going to ask you to write these headings down, and then I'll take it apart one by one. It starts with, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. That's actually the topic sentence for the whole psalm. The rest of the psalm is unpacking, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Do you understand? You have everything you need now. You think, no, no, I need more money. I need a better spouse. I need a cuter boyfriend, or a girlfriend. I I I need that. I need a master's degree. I you know I need a bigger IRA. I need a house. Ha- I mean I no. The Lord is my shepherd. If you get this, you'll come to a place. If you pay attention, you realize I lack nothing. Tremendous. That verse alone, everybody, is worth a week. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Our whole culture is so discontent, isn't it? I mean my gosh, we, you know. Billions and billions of dollars are spent every day trying to get us to realize we don't have what we need. I mean, I went to Home Depot yesterday. I'm not even handy, they told me I needed things. I was tempted to buy some tools I didn't even need. Who knows, I may need a cement mixer someday, right? I mean, I just, I didn't even know I needed an iPad 6, I, iPhone 6. They told me I need one. You know, and iPads and fashion and all that. So. So that's the first sentence. But then it's going to go down into four movements. So write down the phrase. It begins. The first, the first movement is, is pay attention so you hear his voice. So write down here his voice on the side. The second movement is, you know, walking through the darkest valley is pay attention so that you can trust him in darkness. The third movement is pay attention so that you can receive his love. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And then the last movement is. Pay attention so you can see beauty. You can see his beauty all around you. And he uh, talks about that in the last section. Okay, so we're gonna, I'm just going to kind of move us through it. You know, but that's, I'm gonna, these four movements, and uh, then we'll end with this, this paying attention thing. All right, so now, countries have national. Hey, this Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So countries have national symbols. So the, national, the, the, the animal for Russia is the bear. I mean, look at that. Vladimir Putin is not messing around, all right? Now, in the United States, we're mean. We're a bald eagle. Look at that. Now, great Britain, you know, the great British Empire. They're a lion. Yeah. All right, now here's what Jesus says. Now, here's a national symbol for my people sheep. That's it. That's it. Sheep. That's the heart of Psalm 23. It's the heart of actually the scriptures, Old and New Testament. Sheep are weak. They're vulnerable. They're limited. They're stubborn. They're thick-headed. They're dumb. That's the problem. Group sheep. And God says, My people are like sheep. That's not a very flattering symbol. Now, do you, have you I don't know if you ever thought about this, but... You know, there's no such thing as a sheep trainer. Because you can't train them. (laughs) Dog trainer, horse trainer, but you can't train a sheep. They're not in the circus. You can't say roll over. You understand, a sheep cannot even find a good pasture. In fact, a sheep will stay in the same spot until there's nothing there that will still move. Some of you hate change, you're a sheep. <laughs> sheep don't know how to find good pastures. They're the, they're the animals, they say, the least able to take care of themselves and survive. They're that dependent. They don't know how to move to new ground. They're defenseless against enemies. They don't have claws. They don't have teeth. They can't run fast. They can't bite. I mean, they're, look at it. That's us. <laughs> they're easily frightened by the littlest things, A little sound. They're all running. Shh. Whether it's a rabbit, whether it's a noise, a barking, a one barking dog, an entire flock can go off a cliff. I mean, they're just frightened to death. So, now movement one. He says, that's who we are. Is, he, 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 he settles me. Now, the word he settles me in green pastures, he leads me besides quiet waters. Now, many of you know that passage, he makes me lie down. And you know, you, you, I always got the image for myself. It's like a, a sumo wrestler. God takes me and pins me down. You know, He makes me lie down. I got the flu. He's gonna get me on my back. That's not what it's saying, all right? So it's because you, you it, it doesn't work with sheep. You can't even get them down, all right? The way this is is that the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. That that if you'll pay attention to He who's paying attention to you, you'll be so satisfied and full. Sheep, when they're full, lie down. They're settled. And they'll just lie down to digest their food. They're, they're content. So he goes, he will so fill you, he'll settle you in, in a green pasture. And then he'll lead me beside still waters. He doesn't drive us. He leads us quietly. But it's interesting, still waters, we can, we can only drink, sheep drink from still waters. They cannot drink from rapidly moving brooks or streams. It has to be still. So God says, if you'll pay attention to me, you'll be so full, you'll settle down. And you'll rest. You'll rest. Not only that, You'll allow me to, to lead you, you'll hear my voice, because my sheep hear my voice, I know them and they follow me, and you're gonna find I'm gonna lead you to still waters to drink, and again, satisfy you. And then he got this great image of he brings me back, because his sheep by nature are just always going off. It's awesome, we just, we just, you leave church, you're off. You know, and so he's always, he brings me back. That's, that's the nature of the relationship. He's constantly bringing you back to himself. He brings me back and then he leads me in right paths for his namesake. So you, you, can, you can trust that. The Arminian translation is he brings me back from the wrong path to the right path. You understand, sheep go to polluted waters, sheep go to dead ends, sheep go to get stuck going off a cliff. They get killed by wild animals because there's no way a sheep can know where to go. It's impossible. Now, we overestimate how much control we've got. I mean, we just, we we, we think, I got it, I got it. You know, I got my health, I got my money, I got my children, I got my job. You know, think of the smartest person you know. And maybe some of you in this room, a couple of you, maybe you got a perfect score on your SATs. Maybe you got a perfect score in your GREs or your medical boards. I mean, you you are smart, okay? I, we, Jerry and I know this guy. He didn't even go to college. This, was, this guy was, I think, the smartest guy we've ever met. He just knew something about every. He knew, he knew a lot. It seemed about everything, and he had one of those photogenic minds. He'd read something 20 years ago, he never forgot it, and he knew about photography. He knew about printing presses. He knew about architecture. He knew about civil engineering. He knew about English literature. He knew about philosophy. The guy was just knew about I, theology. He just Dentistry, medicine, flying an airplane. I mean, it was unbelievable. I would check it out with someone in the field. One guy, I talked to him downstairs in the printing business. Said he would talk about inks and printing presses and processes. i said, "I say, said, is this guy crazy or what? No, it's right, he's right, he's right. He was that smart. Now here you got a catch. We're sheep. which means it doesn't matter how much he knows or how smart you are academically, you're dumb, okay, dumb. In other words, you have no idea where to go in life? You 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 want to run your own life? I was talking to a young person in her twenties recently, and she was telling me, I, "I was telling her, listen, you you've got to pay attention to God. You have got to get connected to God." She said, I got a cover. I said, "You have nothing covered. You got nothing. Where, where do you think you're going?" I got a master's degree. I said, "You who cares? You do. You're a dumb sheep." You think you're going to make decisions without paying attention to God, who I marry, where I live, where I go, what I do, that, that is dumb. (laughs) So it's going to sound like, like you were made to be needy. I'm not needy. Yes, you are. You're incompetent. I'm competent. No, you're not. You need God. You're vulnerable. You're going to get killed out there. You have no idea where you're going. That's us. That's, we are to pay attention so we can hear his voice because we have no idea where to go. Do you understand the idea of living life without God? How crazy that is? We need him. I love this quote. John O'Donoghue is a Celtic poet, deceased now. And I've always loved this line where he says, because we're so engaged with the world, we can forget how fragile life can be. And how vulnerable we always are, it only takes a few seconds for a life to change irreversibly. Now, you'll learn that by the end of your life. You will learn that. That's why people love Psalm 23. You will read this when you're three, and you will read it at a funeral, at your funeral, at your deathbed. And it'll be equally meaningful in a different way. So, The turning point for my life as a Christian, one of of the two or three major turning points of my following of Jesus was clearly in 2003, was when Jerry and I uh, took what we called our contemplative sabbatical. And we took four months to learn from monks. And living and visiting different monasteries and retreat centers in North America and Europe and living these rhythms of silence and began to really Learn to pay attention to God in, in silence. What we call now centering prayer. And it. Transformed my whole relationship with God. I couldn't put language to it. In the beginning. Um, and so actually. Every day I set my timer on my phone. In the morning. And I will do 20 minutes. Of silence with God. And I'll pay attention to him. And I'll we'll talk about how I, I do that. but And I'll read scripture around it. Or maybe something devotional. But. I've changed, I'll give you a couple things. I've, I've changed so much, I, I don't know where to start. But I, I big, one of the biggest things was, I, I used to pray all these things that, you see, when you're, when you're distracted, your mind's cluttered, it's really hard to hear. And I realized I was missing a lot of what God was saying because I wasn't quiet. And so I was telling him a lot of what I needed him to do. And I asked him to do a lot of things. And sometimes he did him. and it was basically, it wasn't helpful, he was trying to teach me a lesson. I, just, I was asking for the wrong things, my goals. Uh, I realized I was, on the long, I was on the wrong playing field. And my prayer became much more, God, where do you, where do you want to lead me? Where, where are you going? You know, it became much more, God, I was waiting on God for God to listen to his voice to take me somewhere. It was a whole, whole other way of praying uh, in the mornings. I, I became much more aware of myself, much more aware of when I'd be in a conversation with someone and maybe I felt uncomfortable or triggered or the conversation was disturbing, now I was aware of my body that something's not right here, and I'd be able to go back and kind of wait on God with that and how God's coming to me. I became less reactive, I'm definitely worried less. Um, like many of you, I, what's the future hold, and what's gonna happen next, next week and next month, and what about this, and, and uh, we have no idea. But I became more present to people, more present to myself. My relationships got richer. And no question, I began to be aware of God much more during the day. Now, I'm not arri- I've not arrived by any means. I'm still on my journey. And many of you are saying, he still looks fanatical. or not. Someone said to me, my friend Greg Howell said, you, you're still a bit frenetic. I said, absolutely. You should have known me before. You know, I mean." But I'm on a journey. Uh, but I can't tell you how when I began to actually not just talk about paying attention, but actually said, this is now gonna become a discipline. I'm gonna strengthen that muscle. And then what was so incredibly difficult initially became so natural and easy like breathing over time, where I can't imagine living without it. And then I realized how God has crafted every one of us for a dimension of our lives that we have silence, that we're actually just paying attention to Him. So the first movement is I, I pay attention to his voice. But the second is I pay attention now to, to trust him in darkness. By darkness, it says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, or valley of the shadow of death, some translations have. Literally, as I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, here's the valley in Israel. Do you want to go in that valley? No. But God loves you so much that you can be assured he's going to bring you to fantastic pastures. And to get you there, he's got to take you through some valleys. And so he leads his sheep through valleys. Setbacks, pains, disappointments. When you die, I trust you'll say this as well, even though I walk through the darkest valley, on your deathbed, and it's going to be a valley, it's still scary to die. You only do it once, and you'll say, "I will fear no evil for God." You are with me. Your rod and your staff they, they comfort me. Wow, beautiful line. And so, again, the problem with with being in the valley is, that's us. Like I'm not very—I'm not able. To, in the valley are, are are bears and lions and snakes and all kinds of things. And, and again. Sheep have no defenses. You understand? We're, that's why it's so scary. Now, many Christians go into a valley, or many folks begin to follow Jesus, and they're following the shepherd. And all of a sudden, they find themselves in a valley. You know what they say? They say, I'm, I'm, Hey, you know what? I'm out of here. This shepherd does not know what he's doing. I'm going to take over and run my own life. Really? Where are you going? You don't know understand. Like, you need the valley to get to where God wants to get you to be. But many folks never make it through valleys they just quit the whole Christian life and say, I'll run my own life, I can do a better job than him. No, you can't, that's you. Solzhenitsyn, Alexander Solzhenitsyn was a great Soviet uh, writer, So, in the former Soviet Union, he was a devout communist. Uh, but in 1945, he was, quite, he was quite famous in Russia, even at that time as a writer, as an artist. But in 1945, he made a negative comment about Joseph Stalin, the dictator of Soviet Union at that time. Uh, something about him having a mustache. They threw him into a Soviet labor camp for eight years for one comment. Very unjust. And he wrote a book called *A Gulag Archipelago. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing it right. Three volumes. And they say that book, it's about his next eight years in that prison camp, the Soviet labor camp. And they say it's the greatest piece of literature in the 20th century, of nonfiction. It's it's that good. But he writes about, he went into this Soviet labor camp, prison. He was young. He was arrogant. He was judgmental of other people without mercy. He was not forgiving. And his youthful successes had made him cruel, almost like he was infallible. But when he was there, he writes about, he says, I was rotting on prison straw and then my heart stirred. He gets led to faith in Jesus through the witness of a Jewish believer who was who later beaten to death by the guards. But while suffering unjustly in those years, he thought he would never get out alive. He wrote this, he said, I found grace. He met Christ. And that is why I turn to the years of my imprisonment and I say to the astonishment of those around me, bless you prison. I nourished, God nourished my soul there, and now I say without hesitation to all, bless you prison for having been in my life. You are with me. You are with me. The deepest security, I was with one of our members here who came to the United States for asylum. And we were talking about He said, so don't ever trust in the United States. I mean, I love my country. Don't trust in our military. Don't trust in our financial institutions. Don't trust in our educational institutions. Don't trust in anything but the Lord who is our shepherd. He is the security. He is your protection. He's all you need. And when you have him, you lack nothing. Will our country endure forever? History says no. But the Lord says this, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. In fact, then he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now here's a... Here's a rod, okay? So here's, here's the rod. Now, a rod was used by the shepherd to beat off wild animals. So God says, I, I got your back here. So he's, you don't even know it. You're in the dark valley. Here you are. You can't, you can't see a thing. But God says, I want you to know something. Your rod, my rod's protecting you. And then I know you're going to get all mixed up, and you're going to start getting stuck in rocks and going down wrong roads down there. I'm going to pull you back. My, your rod and your staff, they, they comfort me. So I, I know God has got me. And so I'm gonna stick with Jesus. I'm gonna pay attention to him as as he comes to me and reveals himself, but I'm not gonna worry here. I'm gonna rest because I'm gonna pay attention to him. And so then he switches metaphors and he goes to the third movement. And the third movement, he goes to a banquet table. And it says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now, here's the image here. It's a table. Now, in the Mid East, Mid Eastern hospitality is famous, and especially in the time of Jesus. They would give you, if you were a guest, they'd give you three times as much as food as you could possibly eat. Okay? So God's saying here, I'm the host, you're my guest, I'm giving you more food than you could ever eat. And when you were a guest in a Mid Eastern home, you were protected. You, 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 were, you were protected by that host. And the Lord says this, you may have enemies out there. Now Just like David had a lot of enemies, he said in Psalm 3, he says, I lie down and sleep even though I do not fear tens of thousands of enemies who have drawn up against me on every side. David blocks out all his enemies that don't like him. Now you may not be liked. There may be some people that don't forgive you. Uh, You may even be hated by some people. Or you may find a negative opinion of people cripples you. Maybe you've done some terrible things terrible things. Things that are unthinkable and unmentionable. And maybe you've paid a great price for that. You've lost so much. And so as a result, many of us have messages in our heads that were no good. You know, you don't matter. You're stupid. You know, you're unimportant. You need to be perfect. You can't be wrong. You are not to be trusted. You'll never amount to anything. You're a loser. And we kind of got these messages in our, we kind of carry them through life that you'll never get over what you did or what's happened to you. But do you understand? David is able to block all that out. He's paying attention to God, and he sits there, and he's able to receive a banquet. The the voice of God that says, and not not just intellectual knowledge, it's actually going into his soul, all that shame melting away and saying, it is good that you exist, says the Lord. You know, you're, you're lovable, you're, you're good enough, you're, you're a joy, you have nothing left to prove, you're, your knees are a delight, you're allowed to make mistakes, as one theologian said, you can define grace as, you matter. And so God puts you at a feast. You matter. And then he says, I, he puts oil on our heads. He goes, oh, this is a restaurant, actually, per se. It's, it's, they say it's one of the most expensive restaurants in Manhattan. Now, the opening meal, the basic meal, costs $851 a person. We haven't even gotten dessert. Now, Jerry and I mentored a young guy, we were in college, into varsity, who became very rich, thank God. And he came to town once and he took Jerry and I to this restaurant. And he ordered wine, who knows what the bill was. Well, I'm telling you, the service is better than McDonald's. I'm just telling you right now. I'm just... I, I mean, it was hard to enjoy the meal. I felt so guilty. It was so overwhelming, the waiters, the service. I mean, it was just, it was unbelievable. God says, that's nothing. And David and I said, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. God's got you you are you are sitting at a table and God has, has this incredible meal for you and then he says he goes he goes and then he goes he puts he goes you anoint my head with oil that was given for special guests and you know you think about it's like going to a spa it's like you're eating and they got a spa the massage on the head and you know you know, you know you're going, putting cologne on you they put perfume to, or a cologne it's just you're beautiful like oh yes yeah and then I go yeah, my cup overflows you know, you take a drink and it's like a little two-waiters right there put more it's overflowing with great drink. You know, it's like, you're that special. And David's just paying attention to God's love. That third movement. He's able, to, he's able to receive the love of God as he's paying attention. Do you understand? So many things out there become insignificant. Their approval, their, their getting love from all these other places, you're just basking in it. You're swimming in it. It's a great image there. It's an extraordinary treatment there. And then it goes to the fourth movement, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That fourth movement is, is about, the word is beauty, because the word goodness is translated surely beauty. Some translations say good and beauty and love will follow me all the days of my life. Shepherds are behind, the, he's behind you. God says shepherds will be behind the flock, you know, basically as a rear guard. And he says, what's, what's, what's a, animals aren't gonna come from behind and hurt you, wild beasts aren't gonna come from behind, Ruthless thieves aren't going to me. God says, no, I got my beauty and my love is following you, wherever you go. Now, listen, I come from a family. Now, this, this is a tough verse to swallow. I come from a family, Italian-Americans, that was very superstitious. And I was taught from a young age about the evil eye. Now, neuroticism is part of the culture. You know, it's this negative slant, this kind of paranoia. And here's a, here's a, rather than getting good, you know, beauty and love will follow me all the days of my life, kind of my family commandment was, and some of you may know this, ugliness and curses will follow you all the days of your life because you, you deserve it. And if you're having a good time, watch out because bad is coming. Don't enjoy it too much. And yet, this is such a key spiritual practice that we're actually paying attention to beauty. And it's been a huge learning curve for me, the practice of paying attention to beauty around me. Now, a woman named Etty Eddie, Eddie Hellasom was a Jewish thinker, Christ, uh, believer from Holland who had died in a Nazi concentration camp at the age of 29 in Auschwitz. If there ever was a hell of a darkest valley, it was Auschwitz in World War II, hell on earth. And during her months there, she kept a diary, and that diary was recovered after the war. Or she somehow got it out. And and she was somehow able to see beauty in the middle of Auschwitz. And here's what she wrote. Sometimes I stand at some corner of the camp, my feet planted on your earth, talking to God, raised toward your heaven, tears sometimes running down my face, tears of emotion and gratitude. And I want to be there right in the thick of what people call horror, and still be able to say, life is beautiful. And now I lie here in a corner, dizzy and feverish, and unable to do a thing. But I am also with Jasmine, and that piece of sky beyond my window. And all of life becomes one long stroll, such a marvelous feeling. Now Jasmine is a a flower, statues, and teas, and, and perfumes, and a beautiful flower. But she somehow saw beauty, and that's the invitation that beauty follows you, no matter what darkness, or setback, or difficulty in which you find yourself today, do you understand, beauty and the love of God is somewhere following you. And if you'll pay attention, you'll actually catch glimpses of it. Beauty's all around us, in sunsets, and sunrises, in clouds, in a smile, in a kind word, in the beauty of a leaf, or a tree, or snow, or tastes of food, or visuals of food. You know, my journey is I did not know how to pay attention. I didn't, I was always distracted and rushing. And I have grown, I'm still growing in learning to pay attention to beauty, museums, and parks, and music, and because and, my life was so distracted. So what happens is when you start seeing and paying attention to beauty, even false layers start coming off. And fear of what other people think is gone and you start hearing his voice a bit more. So learning this discipline of paying attention is actually the muscle that we've gotta cultivate in the whole Christian life. So here's what I want us to do. Now, I wanna invite you to, worship team, you can come forward because this attention is the necessary muscle of the Christian life. Do you understand that, that? We want to pay attention to God. Because you know what Psalm 23 says to us? That God is paying attention to you. So we want to pay attention to him who's paying attention to us. And Jesus died and rose from the dead, friends, that we could actually be in this. So here's what we're going to do. Let me take this. this, uh, We're going to actually take two minutes. And we're going to have a paying attention to God moment. But let me give you. Here's what what I'm going to ask you to do for homework your assignment is this. For five minutes a day, I'm going to ask you to practice what we call centering prayer or silent meditation. The first minute, you know, you may just take, you to spend, a of fact, do this right now as I'm speaking, just practice, you know, breathe in through your, through your, through your nose and just breathe out, deep breath through your mouth, you know, breathe in and breathe out. So when you get before God, you're in his presence, just take a minute or so and just breathe in and breathe out and just become aware and conscious of your breath. Feel your body, whatever's going on in your body, tension or stress or joy, and just be there before God being present. And then what happens, our mind starts to wander, right? We get distracted. It's been called, you know, we have 10,000 monkeys jumping around in our brain. All these things. And so, what you do, and that, what, what I do, what many people do, is, is when you're being distracted, you understand you're in the presence of God paying attention. You know, have done your breath, okay? And then you just, I like what Father Keating said. One person came to Father Keating, he said, he was at one of these monks, he says, what do I do when my, my mind is racing? 10,000 times in just a few minutes. He says, well, it's 10,000 opportunities to come back to Jesus. So just every time your mind wanders, say, oh Jesus, oh yeah, Jesus. You remember, I'm with you, Jesus, oh yeah, Jesus. And you're just paying attention to Jesus. You're being quiet before him. That's it, as much as possible. You're not asking for anything. You're not trying to get anywhere. You're just seeking to pay attention to Jesus. Now he may say some things to you, he often does, but that's not even the goal. The goal is to be with him. But even the fact that you show up to pray is an act of tremendous humility. What you're saying is, I need you. I'm dependent. I'm vulnerable, I can't live without you. Do you understand, the fact that you show up to meet with God for even five minutes is a success. You showed up, because when you don't pray and you don't meet with God, you know what you're basically saying with your body language? I'm doing just fine, I, can, I'm, I'm doing, I got it under control. If I need you, I'll let you know. That's why I say just the fact that you stop to be with God in of itself is a great success. So stop, you know, don't worry about judging yourself. So, so what we're gonna do is, we're gonna take a minute, if you put your hand, you kind of put your hand in a lap like this, and let's just take, you know, we're gonna take just two minutes. Let's take a couple deep breaths, you know, and just be very aware of your breath, of God who gives you breath. I just, we're gonna take a minute just for you to breathe, and then that second minute, what I want you to not, just to begin to just, when your mind wanders, say, "Oh Jesus," or "Lord." And just try exercising that muscle for the next two minutes. Amen. All right, I'm going to invite you all to stand with me. So that's your assignment. You've got your assignment. Each day for the next seven days, have that Psalm 23, meditate on it. But for that five-minute period, either before or after you read that Psalm, just pay attention to God and be silent before him. Let's sing together. Amen. so God's invitation for us right now is to hear his voice to pay attention to hear his voice to pay attention to to trust him in the valley to to see his beauty to receive his love so as we close we've got the Lord's table to your right and you're invited to eat and drink of Christ I want to invite the prayer teams to come on forward and really if you're like me I I grew up I don't want to trust anybody because I had my own trauma of trusting people that let me down. And some of you may be in that place today that God is just, you're hearing His voice, and He's inviting you to be brave and, and, and to, to, to pay attention to a new place, to go somewhere that you're not actually in control running the whole show. You're, you're actually trusting Him and through a valley, you know, and, and to live life differently, to grow a muscle that's so weak that's never been developed in you. And today is your day and maybe for the first time, maybe you've gotten yourself stuck, maybe you've been so distracted and it is His voice speaking to you today. And I wanna invite you one way to express that is coming forward for prayer and letting folks anoint you with oil as an expression of God anointing you with oil and just receiving His love and grace and power to go forward your next step, all right? So our, our prayer teams will be here to your left and they stay as long as need be after each service. And, or you may just need to come to Jesus today and not just be running your own life, but actually come to him for the first time and receive him uh, and forgiveness and life from him, okay? All right. With that, I invite you to open your hands up towards heaven like this. Just close your eyes. and We do this as an expression of, of paying attention, of trust, of openness to the Lord who is the good shepherd, who pays attention to you. so may the Lord bless you, and may the Lord, the Good Shepherd, keep you, and may He touch your muscle right now of attentiveness, and may the Lord strengthen that muscle by the Holy Spirit. May He give you you grace to pay attention to Him. May your soul enlarge. May you hear His voice in ever clearer ways. May you you learn to trust him in the valley. May you rest in his love. May you see beauty as you leave here. And may you realize, oh, I lack nothing. And may you offer that to the world as a gift. So I bless you as you leave this place in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Thank you, everybody. God bless you.